Blog Talk Radio. So it's uh, faith-based. It's so you're involved with faithism, not atheism, right? It was that you said, saying that you know a lot of Christians, um, they maybe text or they maybe email you, and you know they were pretty much scared of you. And I said, oh, okay, a challenge, okay. No, I believe the Bible. I don't believe the Bible is saying that slavery is okay because it gives instructions about how to handle slavery. Andrew, that's faith. You just said you accept evolution theory. So that's faith. You got faith in a theory. By any chance, are you gay? Uh, what do you think about bow totes? Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Atheist Roundtable. This is going to, again, be a weekly live call-in show about atheism, agnosticism, beliefs, non-beliefs, and a whole bunch of other things that are just going to flow into your host's stream of consciousness for about 30 or so minutes each Sunday night at 11 p.m. My name is Andrew Garber. I'm your host here on the Atheist Roundtable. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I took some time off for the holidays because I don't know if you guys have families like mine, but if you do, the holidays are crazy. Yes. And then if you have children like mine, as soon as things calm down from the holidays, they all get sick. Yes, they do. And they throw up in their beds. Just the most fun ever. Yes. No, it's not. I don't I don't I don't recommend that to anyone. I'm glad to be back. I'm here. And so tonight uh, you are listening to the Thinking Atheist radio podcast, right? Because the Thinking Atheist is like one of those most amazing podcasts that everyone needs to be listening to if they're, a, if they're an atheist, if they're a theist who has an atheist friend. I mean, everybody who is anybody ought to be listening to the Thinking Atheist podcast. And recently, uh, recently Seth Andrews, the host of that podcast, went on a, uh, another show, a Christian radio show, where they got to talk to him about being an atheist, right? And I love those conversations. I love it when it's a conversation and not a debate, where it's just people talking to one another and asking honest, sometimes clumsy questions, but just having a conversation and talking back and forth. I think it's great. I think we need to have lots and lots of that. That's one of the things that I want to do here on the Atheist Roundtable. Now, one of the things that a lot of you can guess the kinds of questions that Christians, that believers, are going to ask atheists. A lot of you are going to be able to just know the kinds of questions that are going to come up because if you've ever had a conversation about belief when but, and you've, or you've heard a conversation about belief between an atheist and a theist, then you already know how these conversations go. There's, there are variations on themes. Now, I want to say that I think Seth did, an, did a great job answering the questions. All right? There were a couple I would have taken a different tack. There are a couple that I would have said something a little different. But that's just me. That's the reason that they're different is because I would have to be answering that for me, and Seth has to answer them for Seth, and so things are a little bit different. But I think he did a great job. One of the things that he that was asked 
multiple times by the hosts of the Christian radio show was, what evidence would it take for you to become a Christian again? What evidence would you accept for, there be, for Jesus having lived, died, and rose again? What kind of evidence are you looking for? And that's a great question, right? It's an awesome question because now we're, now we're talking about evidence. We're talking about the reason that I don't hold the belief that you hold is because I'm not convinced because of the evidence. And evidence is important. We've placed importance on evidence, and that's a good. So why is it? That that I reject your evidence, right? Or whatever. But more specifically, why? What evidence would you need? And the kind of evidence that you need is always directly related to the thing that you're trying to that you're trying to prove, right? So if I, the kind of evidence that I would need to convince me that Jesus lived and died would be a lot different than the kind of evidence that I'd need for Jesus to have rose again from the dead. You see, right? Because a guy living and dying is uh, mundane. It's every day. It's, it's not extraordinary. Lots of people live. Lots of people die. And Jesus wasn't exactly an, uh, an uncommon name back in the day. Right, it's probably no more uncommon than Andrew is today. Right? I mean, my name's Andrew. It's not uncommon, but you probably don't know like as many Andrews as you do John or Joe, Jim. Right? You know, you don't talk about the kind of evidence that I would require for Jesus's resurrection. On the other hand, is a completely different story. Right? That's extraordinary. That's a miracle. That's something outside of the ordinary. And so that's the kind of thing that I'm going to need something really substantial, something really, really substantial for me to be able to say, oh, okay, I'm convinced by that. It's going to take a lot more than what it would convince me to think that Jesus lived and died. And I'm not completely convinced that Jesus lived and died, but I'm not sure that it even matters that Jesus lived and died. You, see, you, you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know if it's super important that it was that Jesus lived and died. I think it's much more intricate that Jesus rose from the dead, right? Because if there was a historical Jesus. Right? If, there, if there was a historical Jesus, then my feeling is that that person is as close to the Jesus we have in legend today as St. Nicholas is to Santa Claus. Right? right? There's, a, there's a real guy. St. Nicholas, we can say, lived and died. Right? But I think resurrection would be the kind of thing that you would need to prove that Santa Claus is real. Santa Claus is extraordinary. Santa Claus is supernatural. You'd have to have something breathtaking to prove that 
Santa Claus is real and prove that Jesus resurrected. So there's a difference in the level of the kind of evidence that I would need to convince them. Now, to be fair, to convince me that Jesus lived and died, I'm not, I really haven't been convinced either way at this point. I'm up in the, if you've got really good evidence that Jesus lived and died, I'm willing to entertain it, and I could go either way at this point, okay? I, I, I'm not committed to, to either viewpoint. I, I just, I don't know. You could say I'm agnostic to the historical Jesus. The kind of evidence that I would need would be the kind of evidence that you would want, that I would need for you to prove that any particular individual lived and died in a particular time frame. You know, I need to see some kinds of sources, some outside sources, some, some sources that were not going to be uh, uh, biased toward a particular answer, right? And I'd probably be persuaded one way or the other. And, and this is a bit of a controversy, I suppose, in, in religious scholars, and I'm interested to know why. Because right, I don't even know why. The kind of evidence that it would take me to believe that Jesus rose from the dead would have to be extraordinary. You know, this is an extraordinary claim. And as they say, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I need something... I would need something that would be... I, I mean, I just don't know. It, it, it would have to be mind blowing, literally mind-blowing in order for me to accept that this is evidence of a miracle, right? Miracles, by definition, are the least likely explanation for any phenomenon, for any phenomenon. A, a miracle is the least, because by definition, miracles can't, don't happen. A miracle is a suspension of natural law for a favorable outcome. How do you prove that? I think that the kind of evidence that I would need in order for in order for uh, someone to convince me that the supernatural was real, I, I, I don't know how you would be able to do that. Matt Dillahunty has often said that the best you'd be able to do would be to demonstrate a phenomenon, ever be able to present evidence for the cause of a phenomenon that is supernatural. I'm going to end this particular segment with this thought really recently. I recently went to go see Doctor Strange, the movie. Have you, have you guys gone to see Doctor Strange? I'm not going to spoil the movie, okay? I'm not going to spoil it. I was talking about how much I enjoyed Doctor Strange with a buddy of mine who's also kind of a fantasy comic book kind of guy. And we were just, ta- I was just saying, I really enjoyed it. It was kind of, it was a lot of fun. I, I really dug it. It was a great movie. And my buddy was like, you know, I agree, but my problem is, is that magic as a superpower just, just doesn't hold it for me. I mean, it's all, it's always going to be, well, how did I do that? I magicked it. Oh, no, my magic won't let me magic the bad guy away. If only I had more magic. Poof, I have magic, and I magic the bad guy away. In other words, the word magic 
has no explanatory power because it is unexplainable, right? I just, how did I do that? I magicked it. That has no explanatory power. And even though they'll say that I used the eye of Agamotto or the rings of Azkaban or whatever, right, that's, that, that, that's really not an explanation as to how that actually worked. You're not actually giving, it's just a magic, and then I magic it. Not saying that you shouldn't go see Doctor Strange. You should totally go see that movie. It was an amazing, wonderful movie. I totally recommend it. I was uh, perusing around the Internet. What I want to do, is I, what I need to do is I need to go and I need to find myself more conversations with believers. Don't you think? Don't you agree that what I need to do for this show is have more conversations with believers? I think that's a, that's a lofty goal that I'm going to have to place for myself for the, for the upcoming year, my New Year's resolution for this show. Uh, but I was, uh, I was online and I saw um, one of my old favorites. You know, if you're talk, since I'm talking about the things that I often hear from believers, I might as well talk about the things that we atheists often throw back to believers. Like, can God create a riddle that he can't solve? Right? Uh, the, the illogical idea of omniscience, the incongruency of the idea that something is all-knowing, you know, can an all-knowing being learn something, right? I think it's an important question. I think it's one of those things that we throw at believers a lot. It's the same, it's exactly the same as the problem with omnipotence, right? Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? And we throw that all around a lot. I really enjoy listening to the responses that people have. And I mean really listening to the responses that people have. The reason I want to hear it, because I want to know if they understand it, right? I really think that when we ask believers, can God make a burrito so hot he can't eat it? Or can, can God uh, learn a thing? Right. I think that it's important for us to listen closely to the answer that we get back. Because I think a lot of times, everybody has these questions. Believers, non-believers, everybody's had the question of, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? Everybody's heard that question. And if you're going to believe, that something is, in fact, omnipotent, going to have to have an answer. Now, that doesn't mean that your answer has to make sense. That doesn't even make that, but, but you should at least understand the words that you're using to come up with this answer, I think. Now, do people, do believers often actually understand the words that they're using to, to describe whatever? I don't know. I, I, sometimes I think I doubt it, okay? Sometimes I think I really doubt it. 
my, uh, you know, most often what you'll get is something about his nature, uh, God's nature or whatever. You, 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 you've heard this before, right? Uh, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? No, because then the rock would be greater than God, and God must be the greatest thing. Therefore, it would violate his nature. And God cannot violate his own nature. Which I think is a weird answer. I just think that's weird. Don't you? Uh, the, the idea that you could, that, that uh, God has a nature and God can't violate it? Seems like we've answered the question there, right? Does God have a nature that God can't violate? You know, maybe we should just change the question from can God make a rock so big he can't lift it to does God have a nature that God can't violate? It seems like it's the same question. It, it kind of feels like it has the same answer. Nope. You know, and, and it's, it, you know, it, or you don't believe, you don't actually believe in an all-powerful God or you're going to change this, the definition of what all-powerful really means. You know, all-powerful doesn't mean can do anything. All-powerful means can do most everything. All of the really cool things. Everything that is logically possible? I don't know. I don't know why God couldn't do something that was illogically possible. seems to me that an all-powerful de- deity should be able to create a squared circle or a married bachelor, should be, able to, should be able to do that. You know, I see superheroes all the time jumping back and forth through parallel universes and different dimensions and whatnot. seems to me that an all-powerful God would be able to make something a thing and yet not that thing at the same time in the same way. And, and, and defy the law of identity. It just seems to me that that would be an easy thing to do uh, for for any all-powerful deity, but apparently not. My favorite thing to do, though, um, when someone asks, when when we get that kind of question, is to say things like, if I can do something God can't do, then God must not be all-powerful, right? Uh, and I can sin, so that's something God can't do. So I must be more powerful than God, or God is not all powerful. Or I, if I know something that God doesn't know, then God must not be all knowing, right? And I do know something. I know what it's like to enjoy. God might know my mind, right? God might be able to see into my brain, but that's just secondhand knowledge, right? I've got the firsthand knowledge, right? I've got the I've got the actual experience of being able to do that. That doesn't seem like something that God would be able to do. Um, so that's that's just mine. Hey, uh, I'm going to cut this short real quick because I actually have a caller. And so I'm going to put you on the air now. I, I think this is a Skype call because the air, all the numbers in the phone number are ones. So, uh, caller, you're on the Atheist Roundtable. Who, who's this? Yeah, hi, Seth. Uh, this is Mr. Solution. I just thought I'd call and uh, uh, knock a few of these issues around with you. I, I heard you. Oh. Um, I heard you uh, bringing so, up some uh, interesting uh, perspectives, points of view, and I've oh, dealt well, with my these. Name's, my name is not Seth. I'm, I'm not Seth. Seth is the Seth is the cool guy on the uh, oh, okay. on the Thinking Atheist podcast. I'm okay, not nearly as cool as Seth. Uh, my name is Andrew Garber, and this is the Atheist Roundtable. 
Oh, Andrew, nice to meet you. Yeah, I, I want to take up the um, uh, take up the challenge. Uh, I'm, I'm, I follow the Christian belief, or I am a Christian, so I would like to uh, tackle some of these uh, major issues that you've raised. Um, okay, sure. Okay, go ahead. Oh, uh, uh, well, I, I'll go ahead because I heard some of the points that you made. You, 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 you talked about the resurrection of Jesus, correct? I, I was talking about how I don't know what kind of evidence anyone could provide that would be convincing for the resurrection okay. of Jesus. All right, I have some for you. Okay. Yeah, uh, Dr. Uh, William Lane Craig, he's a theologian, an apologist, and, and a historian on the uh, New Testament. Um, and there are many others, but he is one person that comes to mind. Um, and he talks about this and debates this issue extensively. But, okay, um, the empty tomb, based on the historical record, the empty tomb of Jesus... Uh, the post-mortem appearances of Jesus, okay, and the proliferation of the uh, Christian faith. And I heard you make. A, did you hear those three? Yeah, yes, I've, 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 I'm familiar with uh, William Lane Craig's uh, uh, position. Material uh, on. Sorry. I'm sorry, you may have cut out there. I, I didn't hear all of what oh, you sorry. said. I, I've I've heard uh, William Lane Craig's uh, talk, speech, position on the sure, evidence sure. for the resurrection of Christ, and it's exactly yes. what you say. He says he says that uh, we have an empty tomb. Uh, right. There are the there are the appearances to the believers. He, he I think there was another point where it was something about the. Uh, Willingness of the disciples to go to their deaths uh, uh, directly afterwards, uh, and 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 then the proliferation of the Christian faith. Uh, I, right, I think, and, I think and the way that's points. couched, if, if I can couch it correctly, and I'll just take my time, so I will. Uh, going to the death for something that they knew was false. In in other words, no one would do that. Now, of course, people have gone to their death uh, mistakenly, but Okay, so that's the way that's stated to be coherent. But the, the, the point is, is that we're dealing with probability here. Uh, it, it is probability. And I heard you make a statement that, that uh, you made some good observations, by the way. Uh, you talk about the unlikelihood of someone being resurrected. And that's true. That's absolutely true. But I, I don't concur with you. With respect to, and I would like to hear what you, what kind of evidence you would need, but you said an extraordinary claim requires extraordinary evidence. Is is that what you said? Did I hear you correctly? Yes. Okay. I don't think I I, I would differ I, I would differ with that on on the basis of I think it would just require factual evidence, not necessarily extraordinary evidence. Uh, it would require evidence along the lines that uh, I stated to you initially, the empty tomb, the post-mortem appearances, and remember Jesus appeared to 
uh, both believers and unbelievers, and the foundation of the Christian faith. And per the record, um, every effort was made to um, uh, to divert or to um, uh, to defend against uh, an accusation such as he was resurrected, such as the the, the, the uh, Roman guards that were placed at the tomb. Okay, and the thing is, is that if Jesus' body was there, <laughs> I mean, the enemies certainly would have, uh, you know, the antagonists, the enemies, as it were, uh, would have uh, trotted that body out. And that's all they would have had to do to destroy the Christian faith, is present that dead corpse. But they couldn't do it. And, you know, I, we can talk about this on, on a deeper level, but I've discovered something I'll share with you that well, I think me, transcends the information. I think the information is good, uh, but belief actually has to come from within the person. Because some people can have all the information and deny it continually. I, I mean, people do that all the time. But with respect to this particular position, uh, you know, with respect to God, I believe that God has imprinted uh, his nature on human beings. And they believe per uh, their willingness to acknowledge that. And I don't think, apart from that, any evidence will ever convince them. Because I've debated with people uh, extensively, and at a certain juncture, I would say to them, well, what kind of evidence do you require to believe? And they say, well, I don't know. Well, see, that's where the problem is right there. Does that make sense? Do you follow me on that? Well, sort of. So let me, let me. Just, uh, I've only got a few minutes here, but I think uh, sure. Blog Talk Radio will let me go over uh, a couple, so we'll probably go over go over a little bit today, so I can so we can uh, flush this out. Yeah, that more. sounds good. Uh, go on. The the, the 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 problems that I have with uh, uh, William Lane Craig's position are that the empty tomb, uh, an empty tomb, isn't exactly extraordinary, uh, nor are uh, post mortem appearances. Uh, Elvis Presley has made post mortem appearances. Nobody thinks that he's a uh, some kind <laughs> of messiah. Uh, the the willingness for someone to die for something that they know is false. No one thinks that the disciples knew that. No one thinks that the disciples thought that what they thought was false. We think that if the disciples were real, that they would have been convinced that they that they were right. But lots of people are convinced that they're right, and they're actually wrong. I mean. If, if you're a Christian, then you think that all the Jews are wrong. You think that all the Muslims are wrong. You think that all the Hindus are wrong. There are lots of people that are wrong. You think all the atheists are wrong. So it's not un, it wouldn't be weird for someone to be wrong, but convinced that they're right and have the conviction to die for something that was wrong, but they thought was right. Uh, I, and... The idea and the fact that there has been a religion that has survived, again, there are lots of religions that have survived. The, the, thing, that I, the thing that I'm coming down here on is that all of these things are not extraordinary. All of these things are actually very ordinary. 
I'm not saying that all of these things happen. I'm saying that granted that all granting all of these things happen, I'm still not convinced that the most likely explanation for all of these things together is that someone came back from the dead. Because when someone comes back from the dead, I think you'd agree, that's a miracle. That is a miraculous occasion. And a miracle, by definition, is the least likely explanation for anything. Yeah, but that, but, but it's, let me know when I can jump in, because you're raising such a, I like your line of reasoning, by the way. Uh, go on, but let me know when I can respond to some of the things oh, that you, some of the charges that you've made. Oh, I, I, I was done. That was it. Go ahead. Oh, okay, okay. Well, see, you've actually answered the question in, in a very uh, definitive fashion, uh, Andrew, and it's this. You're right. Singularly, uh, none of those points that were raised, and I raised three. There are others, but those were three. Uh, singularly, they, they are not overwhelming. But when taken together, when taken collectively, and I don't know if you've ever studied forensic evidence or this sort of thing, but when you take all of those together, it it does present a compelling case. Now, because the nature is is historical, um, we can't reproduce it. So it's, it's, it's not scientific. It is outside of the realm of science. And I love science. I'm a science person myself, but I understand the limitations of science. Science is limited um, in, in, in its scope. Uh, it does wonderful things, but, you know, there's history, there's law, uh, there's music, uh, there, there are literature, there are a plethora of very important areas that do not come under the rubric of science per se. And so getting back to this from a logical and a historical uh, vantage point, I think when you take all three of those, the empty tomb, the post-resurrection uh, appearances, uh, post-mortem appearances, and of course the um, conviction of, of the disciples I mean, that, that does present a compelling case for Jesus' resurrection. Um, and, and obviously you could talk about the scriptures. You could talk about the life of Jesus. Jesus lived an extraordinary life. And I want to say to you regarding miracles, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Planck time, but if you talk about the origin of the universe itself, that's a miracle. I mean, I listen to science. Uh, discuss this, scientists, the top scientists, theoretical physicists. And, you know, combined in a second, Andrew, uh, per Planck time, uh, was, is, is greater than the 14 billion years uh, that have um, expired since the origin of the universe. You, do you follow what I'm saying? I'm saying the Big Bang, within that one second, um, a greater time period occurred than the 14 billion, roughly 13.7 billion subsequent, what we would call, you know, you know, actual years. 
So right there, compressed into a second, is, 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 is a miracle. I think the very existence of the universe, like why is there something rather than nothing, one of the greatest uh, philosophical inquiries uh, that has ever been uh, broached. So I, I, I think that miracles are rare by definition, but I do think there's plenty evidence uh, for, for, for the existence of miracles. Go on. Uh, well, let me. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if uh, if Blog Talk Radio is going to actually be recording this part or not because everything on my screen has done gone blank. But I'm, I'm enjoying this, so we can we can go on if it doesn't actually make an episode. Then whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, but I I wanted to kind of touch on the other thing that you said to begin with that you're not sure that there would ever be any evidence that could possibly be presented that would, that would, that would change someone's mind. Uh, and uh, the idea that... Uh, wait, wait a minute. I think, if, I think wait, wait, let me, let me just add a codicil to that. May I? If they are Go unwilling on. to believe, if, if they are unwilling, because, you, you know, when you talk about the human mind, you're talking about volition. And that's a choice that a person makes. So if a person for various reasons, worldview, whatever, if, if they just choose not to believe, they can actually overlook the evidence. People do that all the time. Go on. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I wonder if you're aware that most of the atheists I know, uh, Seth Andrews would be one, I am another, most of us began as devout believers. Most of us started off our lives as devout, dyed-in-the-wool believers of some kind. Uh, uh, Seth's background is different from mine, of course, uh, but a lot of the, the atheists that I talk to, I, I, a lot of the atheists in my circle of friends started being believers. And what okay, happened, what changed you? I, I, I mean, if you can start with yourself, yeah. I, I'm very interested in what changed you. So what happens is everybody, and, and, and I'm convinced of this, that everybody at some point in their life, believer or non-believer, has a, I'm doing air quotes, you can't see it, has a crisis of faith. Okay, There's a time in their life where they start to question the things that they always accepted as being true when they were growing up. Everybody has this time, all right? Most people, most people come out of the other side still a believer. Some of us, though, find these questions to be extraordinarily troubling. And the answers that we get to these questions, even more so. Like the question that everybody hears, can God make a burrito so hot he can't eat it? I mean, you... A five-year-old has heard this, right? I mean, everybody's heard that. The answer to the question, though, the answer that we get, it, it has something to do with God's nature and God can't violate it, is extraordinarily unsatisfying. The, it, it, the, the answers that we get are not satisfying to, uh, to, to make sense of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving perfect creator of the universe with a message for humanity. 
this, okay. th- this God doesn't jive with the answers that we get for very simple questions like burritos that okay. are pumped. A- a- Andrew, let's address that question, If I mean, if you don't mind. I, I mean, if that's what's causing you heartburn, let's address that question, because I think that particular question, now you could probably ask me very hard questions that I can't answer, but that one is, is very easy uh, to respond to coherently. Would you like okay. me to? Sure. Would you like me to? Go for it. Okay, yeah. That's a nonsense question. That question makes no sense because what would be the purpose of doing that? That's what you call a... Okay, allow me to ask you the question. Can God create a rock so heavy Mm -hmm. that God can't uh, lift it? And that is supposed to be a violation of God's omnipotence, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. What does that prove? That omniscience is a nonsense concept. Well, wait a minute. That, that omnipotence is a nonsense concept. Excuse me, I you cut out. I didn't hear that. That that, that omnipotence is a nonsense concept. And, and so if I believe in a God that I think is omnipotent, then I believe in something that is nonsense. Well, no, no. The, the notion of omnipotence is, is a very, in, in fact, the concept of God is, is very simple. Now, I'll borrow on some of the theological um, information I've, I've gleaned. Uh, you know, God is an unembodied mind. God is not physical. So the concept of God being omni, Latin for all, omnipotent, all-potent, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipresent, or ubiquitous, everywhere at once. I mean, I know we don't wrestle with these items on a day-to-day basis, and sometimes they're, they're, they're alien to us, but when one thinks it through and applies it to God, it makes perfect sense because, number one, God, it would be a violation of God's nature to um, create something that God could not transcend. That's a nonsense or what we call theologically incoherent or philosophically, excuse me. That's incoherent. Who would do that? <laughs> that just, you know, that doesn't, it doesn't present any any sense. That's why I say it's incoherent. God can do anything within God's desire that doesn't violate God's own nature. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Well, Excuse that me? is precisely that. That is precisely the answer that I was talking about earlier today. That's that's precisely the answer that I was given. That's precisely the answer I was talking about tonight, uh, and I still find that answer to be wholly unsatisfactory. It's okay. Now tell me, I want to be challenged by you. I really do. I love a good challenge. Why is that unsatisfactory? What do you want? What What do you desire? A contradiction. What I desire. 
what I desire is for if I'm going to believe something, I want it to make sense. And omnipotence doesn't make sense. Omniscience doesn't make sense. Now, I could have a non-omnipotent, non-omniscient God. Okay, I could, I could have that. A lot of people believe in a God that's not all-powerful. A lot of people believe in a God that's not all-knowing. Uh, uh, what's his nuts? Uh, uh, oh, apologist guy whose name is losing a, Matt Slick. That's his name. Matt Slick is, a, is an apologist. Runs the uh, the Andrew, uh, web. Let me ask you this: I, uh, You raise these you raise these very uh, fecund uh, issues. Uh, okay, why is it not satisfying? And what do you want? I, I think that's I'm the way I, I want to pose this. Why is it not satisfying? And uh, what do you want? Why is omnipotence not satisfying? And what do you want? Okay, so if I'm going to believe in the God that's omnipotent, if I'm going to believe in a thing that has a quality, okay, anything yes. that has any quality, that quality needs to make sense, all right? Water is wet. Gotcha. Yeah. Wet means that water has attached to something. Got it. All right. That makes sense. Uh, uh, but omnipotence and omniscience are self-contradictory. These are why? things why? that... Please tell me why. That's why I'm having uh, problems, and I know you know, but please tell me why are they... You said self-contradictory? Because we've all agreed, you and I both agree, that God cannot make a rock so big he can't lift it. That God cannot make a burrito so hot he can't eat it. That God, and, and, and I think that we'd eventually get to the spot where, um, and again, my favorite tact, attacking God's omnipotence, is not this tact. My favorite tact is to say if I can do something that God can't do, then God can't be all powerful, and I can such sin. as I can sin. I'm sinning right now. I sinned earlier today, and I enjoy it. <laughs> right, right. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm being a little funny, but I'm. Wait I'm a being I heard serious. you say no, that no. you. I'm sorry. I heard you say that you sinned, and then you said something else that I didn't hear. May I hear that I, part? I sinned. And I enjoyed it, right? Oh, you enjoyed it. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's, I, I mean, I'm being a little funny here. I'm, I'm making kind of a joke. But I, I, I want to I I make the point that at some sure. point in everyone's lives, we've all sinned, and at that time, we enjoyed it. And I don't think that that's a stretch of an imagination there, right? So if I can do that, can God sin and enjoy it? It doesn't seem that way. So well, no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you an affirmative no. But may may I offer a reason as to why? Uh, as long as you can keep God's omnipotence intact. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And and I don't mean to downplay this. It's just that I've dealt with this uh, fairly extensively. Okay, you are a creature. Okay, you are what we call contingent. You depend 
on various things in order to exist. Um, you know, human beings can only survive without air for about six minutes, uh, without food, I think, for a couple of weeks, without water for about three days. So you are dependent. God is not. So therefore, God, I, I don't know if you've heard this word, but you, you may want to record it and just check it out. It's called a, a seity. I believe it's A-S-E-I-T-Y, a seity, existing by one's self. So God is the creator. So he's in a different realm. You're natural. God is supernatural. So you don't play by the same. 